identify what the personal goal is, translate that into the business goal, break that down into what metrics you should be looking at to, to monitor your progress, and then translate that into what does your accounts need to look like? What does your bookkeeping need to look like so that you can actually get the right information from your books and from other platforms so that you can actually measure the progress properly. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Let's move on to the person who's taking too much risk, especially first-time entrepreneurs. So Who's vulnerable to this? Well, you mentioned first-time entrepreneurs. I guess, what are the signs that you're doing this? What, when do we need to say there's a red flag coming up for this particular issue? Well, I clearly see it if they tell me the plans and uh, the plans are completely disproportional to the rest of the business. Um, but if for you yourself, the thought experiment there is probably, if this fails, what's the consequence? Will this impact the rest of the business? And if it does, you really want to think twice before committing to it or see if you can stage gate it. Product launches is the number one thing where I see this happen, where sellers have this vision that, oh, this new product is going to be the one and they're investing all their available cash in it. If you catch yourself thinking, oh, but this new product is the one, hit the pause button and really challenge yourself if that's true. If it's really that sure, and if there's objective confirmation for it, or if it's your expectation. Just because your competitor sells 40,000 units per day, doesn't mean that you will. Yeah, it's that objective confirmation of your vision. Yeah. I guess that the hard thing with entrepreneurship is that it does require a leap of faith sometimes. But yep. what I would say is that that's more more the thing that you said that strikes me as a really great reality check is if this fails, what's the consequence? Will this impact yep. the rest of the business? Frankly, mm-hmm. from my experience, is often an optimistic question. You know, will you have a business or will it impact the rest of your financial life? I mean, that's when it worries me. So I refuse these days because I, I want to sleep at night. I refuse to um, do private label training for somebody who's going to put their life savings into one product. I, I'm just saying, like, I'm really sorry, I'm not going to work with you. Or they want to borrow money, God forbid, borrow money from their family is my favorite, you know, disaster scenario. And like, okay, so let me get this straight. You want to borrow money from your family to launch a product in a space where you have no expertise. And yes, you're hiring me. I get it. I will improve it, but I can't wave a magic wand and tell you the future. If I could, I'd be charging crazy, crazy money. Um, and yeah. then you can afford me because you'd be spending all your money on my fees. And yeah. And then, okay, this is your kind of life savings. And what if this doesn't work? So I do see the scenario where this hopefully isn't the target listener for the 10K Collective podcast, because it's kind of geared to people who've got established businesses. But if you're listening and that's you, please don't do this. You could do retail arbitrage, you could do wholesale, you could do some Kindle publishing. There are many business models where you don't have to, you know, bet the farm. So (laughs) thank you for that. Now, um, I guess the solutions then, uh, what are the solutions to that, that person's situation? In my eyes, the best solution there, it's not about, oh, you shouldn't invest, but in stage gaining it. So step by step, commit a little bit for the first step and then anchor. Are you on track? Is everything that you made in your plan, is that validated? If yes, 
then go to the next step. And then again, after a certain period of time or a certain amount of budget, stop, take a breath, evaluate. Is this still valid? Is this still working? Is, are all the signs still green? Is the market validation there? Is the initial listing there? Is the, the, is everything that we want to invest on or below budget so far? But again, especially the market validation there is usually the, the critical one. If that is there, then go on to the next step. But yeah. always make sure you have an out and a go, no, go moments. Yeah, really like that. And by the way, it's exactly how I structured things over the last several years for the private label training. It's like, okay, if, if you can possibly find any way at all of testing this at a smaller scale, even if it's at a moderate loss or break, let alone break even, I'm absolutely happy with that because that gives you a go, no go moment when you yes. just maybe invested two, three thousand dollars instead of twenty or thirty thousand. That's exactly. really, really important. Thank you for, for enforcing that. I would say also market adoption is really critical. So I think it's Mark Andreessen, the really famous venture capitalist from the Silicon Valley says there's before product market fit and there's after. So he sees it as kind of two different universities. He says before product market fit, and by the way, this is in their venture capital back world where they have a lot of cash to start with. So this is not something you should do at home if you don't have a lot of cash. But he says you basically do anything it takes to get product market fit. And then after you've got that, then you've actually got something to play with, right? So I would say that often people push for product market fit and the, the market's just going, no, we don't actually interested in your product. When you come across that kind of situation, what are the signs? What, when do we, that $64,000 question, when do we say, I'm going to abandon this product? It's not working. How do you make that judgment or how do you advise people to make that judgment? You, you don't make that judgment on the spot because on the spots, every entrepreneur is overly optimistic. There's always an argument to keep going. You want to make that go, no go decision objectively beforehand. These are the criteria. And if we don't meet those, we stop. Or we, if we meet, if we do meet these criteria, we go ahead. But you want to make those criteria earlier in the process and not on the moment itself. Because you get into like the gambler's addiction where but the next round is going to be better, or there's a one more step to do to validate. And before you know it, you're still neck deep into the mud. So that decision is beforehand and it's cold so that it takes all the emotion out of the decision itself. Yeah. I, I love this. I mean, this is so hard to do in, in the moment. And this is, this is like sort of entrepreneurial wisdom that is completely different from managing an existing business because you don't have that kind of challenge, which is. Seth Godin put it in its simplest form. He said, okay, before you go into something, a project, but a time or an amount of money beyond which yeah. you just kill the project, if it doesn't hit X by Y time and, and, uh, it's brutal and everyone hates it. So you kind of have to have that conversation with the business partners, investors before you get there, don't you? And, and yeah, that's super hard. I mean, as you say, the gambler's addiction is, I mean, somehow Amazon has gamified seller central in a certain kind of way. I mean, it's the world's most disgusting interface considering how wealthy the company is and also, they treat us, you know, very badly. Sometimes it's their body sellers. We all know this, but nevertheless, there is something extraordinarily addictive about it. Um, so yeah, yeah. right about that, that mentality that can kick in. Apparently, by the way, it's the side note, but not a side note since mindsets come up organically somehow. There's a, there's a process called fractionation, it, which is known in hypnosis and sort of not mind control, but getting people into hypnotic states, um, trance states, which is to say that if you give people rewards sometimes, but not others, that's apparently one reason why gambling is more addictive than if you just put the money in the slot and got a guaranteed return. And, and all entrepreneurship has an element of that, doesn't it? So the fact that it's variable yeah. and the fact that you have that day where you sell a hundred units, even though you've normally sold one a day, that, you know, particularly in Q4, 
can really give you the feeling, oh, but it could work, it could work. And so I, I like that objectivity a great deal. Um, so an excessive focus on one metric, uh, that's not something I've heard people articulate before, but I've absolutely seen it. So as soon as you said that, I thought, oh, wow, yes, I see this. When you say, oh, revenue is a disaster, I agree. Yeah. It's extremely prevalent, isn't it? Customer acquisition costs is perhaps more, more um, obscure, but nevertheless, yeah. what, are, what are the um, the signs that you're falling into that? Ooh, that I don't think that's easy to uh, answer in a very generic way because it really differs on which metric, uh, which company, and uh, which business. Um, okay. But if you wake up, if you wake up in the morning and you only check how many units you sold and what the revenue is, and you don't look at the profits, and your year-end target is only expressed in revenue, probably you're somewhat vulnerable for it. Yes. I, I, I would say, by the way, to, to give anyone out there who's doing this, um, first of all, I've done it a lot and, uh, it's very, because Amazon makes it very easy to see that they don't even really make it easy to see what your advertising is costing you. Obviously they have a cost, but I would argue that's kind of a BS metric that gives you the feeling of control without having control because it's not measured as a percentage of your overall sales for a product really. So I, I think it's a apparent control that isn't, but I would say also, um, yeah, it's hard to get profit. It's hard to figure that out. It takes a lot of sweat and you've got to do the plunging into the numbers, hiring a bookkeeper. Um, so that's really hard. And I guess what we're saying is please do that work because <laughs> it's really worth it. Um, one question that's coming from the Facebook user is a really good one, which relates very much to some of the stuff you were saying about paying yourself first. If you're in that situation, yeah. what are your thoughts about the profit first model? I think I've got it. Here's Mike Michalovich, isn't it? Where you pay yourself first, yeah. you make the rest of the money work harder. Um, when should we apply that? And when should we, of course, profit first works really well. If you're a stable business, if you are, um, for those who are not familiar with profit first, their theory is basically you take a percentage of the revenue allocated to your profit and you pay that first. And then you have uh, a certain percentage of your revenue available for all sorts of different costs. And if you are having a relatively flat business, uh, that works really well because it pushes you to focus on profitability and it allocates the budget for your overhead, for your marketing, for your offers, whatever. If you're a high growth business, on the other hand, I absolutely re uh, recommend against it. Um, if you use profit first in a high growth setting and in the beginning of the year, you say you allocate 10% of revenue for, uh, uh, for offers and for, uh, for marketing, but at the end of the year, your revenue is three times what it was in the beginning. If you stick with that percentage, you're also going to spend three times as much on your office and on your marketing and on other things. So it leads to overspending on overhead. So for, um, so yeah, for, for a stable business, it works really well. It's a relatively easy 80, 20 approach. If you're high growth, please be very careful. Uh, or you have to readjust the percentages every month or every quarter, but that kind of takes the value away from it uh, and makes it still very, very tedious. Uh, interesting. I like this a lot. I mean, I think, um, yeah, sort of hacks and simplification. Simplification is a great thing because this often requires brutal honesty and, uh, and it forces you to have discipline, which is a great thing. As to the points we're making today, right? Honesty yeah. and discipline seem to be kind of the under, some of the underlying themes. But yeah, it's a very good point that if you're spending, if you increase your overhead in proportion to your revenue, you're quite often going to 
have nasty side effects that mean overall your profit decrease quite rapidly because quite often you'll find your gross margins challenged by, you know, and you know, have various other costs that creep in as well. Never mind without even talking about inflation and uh, supply chain costs and ads going up 50% year on year and on, on Amazon, maybe it's more than that stats I've seen. So yeah, I think um, somebody's talked to my, my um, podcast co-host, Jason Miles, who calls himself a sort of profit-driven entrepreneur. He and his wife are very aware of their profit and loss um, statements. And he talks about trying to widen the jaw so that if you grow your business, the percentage of profit you make actually grows as well. Um, it should, yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that as a goal. So I guess that how do, how do we kind of go the opposite way to all these classic errors and actually make sure that our businesses are both profitable and over time can pay us for that lifestyle as well? If you're making the budget, there's two things I would do. One is you have a gross margin target. So what percentage of your revenue should be the gross margin? That's the one. And that is a percentage of your revenue and that should creep up a little bit. That's probably not going to jump up a lot simply because you can't cut your product cost in half. Uh, you may cut off a little bit left and right, but that's not going to change massively. That is something to keep in mind when you're launching new products, that the gross margin needs to be at that benchmark or higher. But your overhead, you don't want to forecast that on a uh, percentage of revenue, but that should be forecasted in dollars or pounds or whatever your currency is. Because that means if your revenue grows, your gross margin percentage stays the same. So your gross margin in dollars goes up and your overhead stays the same in dollars. And that means that's that what you call it, the jaw is opening. That means you get a higher net margin percentage and therefore also in dollars. Okay. That's really, really good. So simple rules of thumb, have a gross margin target, get it to creep down, which by the way, if you're selling more and you've got good branding, you should be able to keep the price high because you're branding strong. And then you definitely should get economies of scale from any producer worth their salts. If your MOQ is 10,000, you should be getting a better unit economics than one. And of course, if you can fill a container as opposed to less than container load, the shipping cost per unit drops down greatly. And that's when you really get the economies of scale, right? So that should definitely be doable. But what about the overhead is really helpful. I think people are even less organized than that. My experience that they just add overhead because they generally feel there's money in the business. They don't even do a budget. It's not a percentage of anything. They just add a member of staff because they feel they yeah. should be doing social media marketing. So if somebody's in that kind of situation, what's for them? Actually, and that, that, what I mentioned earlier, make a plan. If you don't know where you want to go, if you don't know what the destination is or what the destination looks like, you also don't know what the road is to get there. So you really want to make a plan, break that down into how does that road look like? What metrics do I need to track to get there? And then follow up on that. Keep that as your guide every month or every quarter. All right. So two ways to go with this. I think this, first of all, this has been great reality check. I feel like we have to offer people a, a solution on how to make a plan. Maybe that's uh, going to be for a separate podcast recording because this feels like it's, it's been uh, substantial enough for people to take on board. And they're still sort of reeling in the corner from the reality that maybe they're doing some slightly dumb things financially, but much better than waking up one day and finding out you business is bankrupt by a large factory greatness there so let's tell us a little bit more about yourself and what because obviously you've got a lot of wisdom there's a blend of some kind of common sense aka strategy sometimes i think the two are quite similar you know do you have a plan for growth what do you want to do with your business kind of common sense questions but also strategic ones 
So what do you offer people who want to work a bit more closely? One of the things we do, uh, when we get started with a new client, we always start with what we call a game plan. And that's exactly that. Identify what the personal goal is, translate that into the business goal, break that down into what metrics you should be looking at to, to monitor your progress, and then translate that into what does your accounts need to look like? What does your bookkeeping need to look like so that you can actually get the right information from your books and from other platforms so that you can actually measure the progress properly. So that's the number one thing we do to start with any new clients. How do people work? Sorry, using what I want here. How do people uh, get hold of you and if they want to go further with this game plan, which sounds intelligent? The best way is to go to financeinsightmatters.com slash amazingfba. That is where you will find the link to the game plan. And that's where you also find the discount code for it specifically for the listeners of this podcast. Alternatively is to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Great. That sounds easy enough. And I know that you offer a free personal audit as well, which having spoken to you today, uh, even for myself, let alone for some of the clients I've worked with over the years, that feels like a really wise thing to do. So how do we get hold of you for, for that personal audit? Um, you go to financeinsightmatters.com slash mini game plan. And what, what sort of going to see from that? Basically it is a quiz with a few questions on how big your business is, what your goal is, uh, how many SKUs you have, these kind of things, because that gives us like 80% of information with just 20% of the questions. And what you're going to get from that is a personal video from me within 24 hours that lists what we would see as the metrics you would have to look at. Again, this is the 80-20 version because you really want to do the full game plan to get the exact picture and the whole translation. But the 80-20 is this game, this few questions, and we'll get you a list of metrics that fit your role in your business. Great. So it sounds like um, pretty much everyone should check. I presume that's a free audit anyway. That one is free, yes. Yeah, so pretty much everyone listening, I think... Even if you just go on it and discover that you're doing everything right, you probably should at least check it. Financeinsightmatters.com forward slash mini game plan. Sounds like extremely worth doing. And then if one of people, people want to take it further, then they can go to financeinsightmatters.com forward slash amazing. Yeah. If they want to take it further with you. And I guess that people often reluctant to spend money on consultants and coaches because it's harder to see the value than advertising where you get the addiction, <laughs> you know, fees the addiction. Or do you call it the uh, dopamine hit of a sale or, you know, in a product line where you can stroke your products and look at it in the packaging and think how beautiful it is. But the truth is that if you're driving blind, uh, you're really in danger and you may not even know it. So I would just really urge anyone to, if you're not going to talk to Rob, at least talk to your accountant, talk to somebody who's financially literate and understands the e-commerce space. Because when you do, I know from experience that you're going to have some some moments where you go, I wish I didn't know this, but now I do. But then you've got a chance to turn it around. So I think it's really uh, work to do. And Rob, I think that you've proven how much common sense you've got in this area, which is actually ironically not common. We have entrepreneurs doing stuff. Then we have accountants producing numbers and that gap is often yeah. there. And I think you're the perfect person to fill it. So thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom. Fantastic stuff. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. 
Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.